All right, if you have your Bibles, open God's Word with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. While you're turning there, let me rehearse what we talked about this morning. I want to see if it stuck with you. And whether you refer to your notes or not, that's fine. But do you remember the diagram that I drew today? Describing why Jesus is uniquely qualified to be our mediator between a holy God and us who are sinful. And so, so it, just think in terms of that, that center circle. You have Jesus, and then what was the first thing that we talked about? Virgin birth. God took the initiative from God's, God stepped in, sent His Son, the Lord Jesus, and the first thing that we're told, the very first thing that we're told about Jesus is that he was born of a virgin from the Holy Spirit. A holy God sent the Holy Spirit to plant uh, the seed of Jesus in the womb of Mary. Then, what was the second thing? Sinless. That this Lord Jesus not only was born holy, but he lived a sinless life. For his entire life and ministry, he, he he lived a sinless life. That qualified him to what was the third circle. Sacrifice. He was our substitute sacrifice. Uniquely qualified to be our substitute sacrifice. And we looked at scriptures for every one of these. And because he was our substitute sacrifice, he is now mediator. The, the one and only mediator between God and man. Uh, now, here's what we're going to talk about next Sunday. I'm going to tell you ahead of time so you, you can read the scripture. So you can pray with me as I prepare this. I think it's in 1 Timothy. I'm trying to go on memory now. I think it's in 1 Timothy where God says, Be ye holy because I am holy. So next Sunday, we're going to be talking about a holy lifestyle. How does God want you to live your life? And is there any area in your life where there is compromise? Is there any area in your life where you're not living a holy life? If you're going to serve a holy God, you need to live a holy life. Didn't say perfect, but a holy life. And we'll talk about that. God says, be holy because you're mine and because I am holy. So, I just want to pause and pray about that and asking the Lord to continue to work through this, these series of messages. And I just wanted to bring that to your attention again and ask you to be thinking about, am I living a holy life? What does God need to do in my heart? What does God need to do in my home? So let's pray. Father, I thank you that you've given us such a challenge in your word. And and today, just kind of amazed at what you've done as a holy God to provide for our needs as sinful people what you did in the person of Jesus Christ. He definitely is the bridge that makes it possible for us to have a relationship with you. And now, Lord, that we have that relationship, help us this next week to understand what it means to be holy because I am holy. Help me to understand that. God, as I'm in my study this week, as I'm opening the Word, I pray for your Holy Spirit to be my teacher and my guide. I pray that you'd open my eyes and my ears and my heart I pray, God, that you'd speak in a way that would be absolutely clear, absolutely undeniable. I pray, Father, that the Word would come alive as I'm studying. And I pray that not just for me, but for anyone who may be 
looking at that text and considering the ramifications of what it means. And I pray that next Sunday would be a day we would not soon forget, that next Sunday we would see you work in so many lives. I pray that you'd bring people to this church, Lord, who have never been here, that you might speak to them through your word and by your Holy Spirit. I pray you'd bring people back, people that we haven't seen in a long time. I pray that next Sunday you'd bring people back. I pray, Lord God, that uh, next Sunday we would encounter your holy presence. I pray that maybe for the first time in a long time that we would take seriously your word and the challenge that is there, not just to read it, but to really try to live it. So, Lord, would you prepare us? Would you challenge us? And would you change us? And now I pray that as we look at Daniel chapter 3 tonight, again, I ask that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. That the Holy Spirit would open the Word and help us to understand the story that many of us have known since we were little kids. Open our eyes again to what you have to say to us. Encourage those, I pray, who are here tonight and they're going through their own fiery trial. Encourage them, Lord, and comfort them. Help them this evening, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking as I was preparing this about getting some story of somebody going through a fiery trial somebody having to go through something that they didn't plan and they wouldn't choose and they don't want. Then it occurred to me that there's a lot of those stories right here. Stories of people who are encountering physical problems or stories of people who are encountering marital problems or stories of people who are encountering financial difficulties, stories of people who are Uh, encountering all kinds of issues, some we know about and some we don't. I hear them nearly every week. You probably hear a lot of them as well. Times when, when the phone rings and all of a sudden you realize, this brother, this sister, their faith is being challenged. They're living through something they didn't want or choose. So today, I want to talk to you, this evening, I want to talk to you about those painful times that sometimes we all endure, those uncertain times that, some, that we all go through. But I specifically want to talk about the presence of God in painful times. Now, remember last Sunday, we talked about, am I loyal to God? And we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel Chapter 3. Just for context, and some of you weren't here, let, let, let's just go ahead and read the story again. We won't teach about it, but just read the, the, the story again. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the, all of these people uh, went and uh, they stood before it. Verse 4, 
Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must do what? Fall down. You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. And, and we talked about why was there a blazing furnace there. Do you remember why there's a blazing furnace there? Yeah, it was the furnace probably that was used to create this large statue. And so it's, it's still there. And it says, okay, so, so, the, so the furnace is on site and in sight. So if you don't bow down, you're going to be thrown in that furnace. Therefore, verse 7, as soon as they heard the sound of the band playing, I'll call it, and all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews, and they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You've, you've issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the band, and, and they, must worship, they must fall down and worship the image of, of gold that you and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you've set over the affairs in the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the band, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good, but if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, I, uh, this is an, uh, I like this question, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? He was about to find out, wasn't he? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to serve us or save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. And then, verse 18, this is, this is one of those great verses of the Bible. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if he does not. Sometimes we have to have an even if he does not faith, don't we? It's like, I believe he can, I believe he will, but even if he doesn't, I'm still going to stand with him. I'm still going to trust him. I'm still going to love him. I'm still going to serve him. So that was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that's what we talked about last week. So let's pick up the story because here's the issue we're going to talk about tonight. Last week we saw that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were loyal to God. Tonight we're going to talk about this issue. Is God loyal to us? It's a big question. You see, if we take our stand if we decide, I'm going to trust him regardless. And if the story ended in, in verse 23, we would marvel at three men who had 
faith in God till till their last breath. But thankfully, that story doesn't end there. See, here's, there's a verse 24 and a verse 25. And here's, let's pick that up and and read it. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet. Oh, nope, sorry. I got ahead of myself. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He used to like them. He used to think these are some pretty cool guys. Verse 19, the second part of the verse, he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. By the way, do you, how, how do you heat a furnace seven times hotter? You don't turn the gas up higher. Who, who said that? What did you say it, say it again, Andy? Yeah. Scholars think that probably what they, what they did when it said seven times, it might be that they had seven bellows where they were pumping this air into it. Because this, this was a smelting furnace where there, you know, they would have to have these bellows to keep the fire going and keep it hot. And so when he says, make it seven times hotter, he was probably saying, use every one of those bellows. Pump that fire up, make it hot as you can. Seven times hotter. So, let's see what happened. Um, Verse 19, he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I've always wondered why. If you're going to throw them in, just grab them and throw them in. Why do you have to tie them up? Uh, And I don't have the answer to that. That's just one of those... One of those questions that come to my mind when I, when I was reading this. So, he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter and commanded some of the sol- strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he lost some of his best soldiers because remember, said some of his strongest soldiers were the ones who were tying them up. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Again, if the story ended in verse 23, we would say, well, that's just the story of... Three men who were faithful to God to their last breath. But thankfully there is a verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. All right, so I'm going to sit down. We're going to talk for a moment. I want you to think about something. Listen to me. Listen to me. Was the fourth man in the fire? We'll talk about who the fourth man was in a moment. Was the fourth man in the fire necessary? Talk to a neighbor. See, see if you all agree. Was the fourth man in the fire necessary? L- 
let, 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 me, let, me add, let me add something. Let me add something to clarify. Was the fourth man in the fire necessary to deliver them from the fire? You changed real quick, didn't you? Was the fourth man in the fire necessary to deliver them from the fire? And your answer was? So why is he there? Huh? Seeing is believing. Makes... <laughs> okay. Fourth man, it, watch this. This is so good. We, the fourth man wasn't necessary to deliver them from the fire. God could have delivered them from the fire with or without the fourth man there. But listen, there was a fourth man in the fire. Because when you're in a fire, you need more than deliverance. You need God's presence. I don't know if everybody heard that. She said, I told you. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Here's what, I want, here's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Did you know that God has predetermined to be present with you in your pain? Pastor, how do you know that? Well, there's several reasons I would say that. One is Hebrews 13.5, where he said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Jim's right. It really makes a better story, doesn't it? makes a better story to know that God says, Listen, not only can I deliver you from the fire, watch this, not... Not only can I deliver you from the fire, but I will step into it with you. I, I got chill bumps on my arms right now. God says, not only can I take care of you and deliver you, I just want you to know that when you, when you go through this, I'm going to step in the middle of it with you. Does that help anybody? Man, I'm telling you what, that ought to be an encouragement to you if you've lost your spouse or, or a family member to cancer. And God said, listen, I just want you to know, I'm stepping in the middle of this fire with you. It ought to help you when your kids are rebelling and you're wondering, God, I don't know if, I, I don't know if we can make it. It ought to help you to know that God's stepping into the fire with you. When you're struggling with depression and days are dark, it ought to help you to know that God is stepping into the fire with you. When you lose your job unexpectedly, it ought to help you to know God's stepping into the middle of the pain. He's stepping into the middle of the fire with you. God has predetermined to be present with you in your pain. There's a verse that I want you to see. We have read it a few times here, but you need to read it again. Go over to the left to the book of Isaiah. Actually, it's more than a verse. It's a passage of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 
there's somebody here tonight, this might be a very, very personal and very powerful scripture. But now, this is what the Lord says. And by the way, when it says, this is what the Lord says, that ought to get your attention. This is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. And here's what he says. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. You, if you mark your Bibles, you might want to mark, you are mine. That makes a difference, doesn't it? You are mine. I have summoned you. I know you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. But then, I want you to notice verse 2 and following. Verse 2 and 3, he says, Not if, when. When you pass through the waters. Not if you do. When you pass through the waters, look at this promise. I will be with you. God's already predetermined to be with you in the middle of your pain. And when, not if, when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. You and I are going to walk through some fires. God says, when you do, you're going to walk through some. It's a given. But God says, but, but I want to make you this promise. When you walk through those fires, I will walk through them too. I will walk through them with you. God has predetermined to be present with you in your pain. So let's go back to the story of Daniel and see what happens here. I asked you uh, a, a moment ago, was it necessary for the fourth man to be in the fire? We determined no. God could deliver them from the fire with or without the fourth man. The fourth man really didn't do anything to deliver them that we know of, but the fourth man was present with them in the fire. And now the question we want to ask in verse 24 and 25 was who was this fourth man? Here's Nebuchadnezzar's response. He says, and leaped to his feet, verse 24, he leaped to his feet in amazement, asked his advisors, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? Certainly, O king. Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth, the fourth looks like a son of the gods, little g, gods. Now keep in mind that he's speaking as a pagan polytheist. He's a, he's a pagan king. He believes in many gods. And he says, when I look at this, I, when I see this fourth man, it, he looks like a son of the gods. Now, so who was this fourth man? There, there's a couple of, of ideas. Oh, some scholars believe it was an angel. Likely the angel Gabriel. Uh, that's a very definite possibility. It could have been the angel Gabriel standing with God's people. Most scholars agree that the fourth man in the fire was actually a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. It was actually Jesus Christ standing in the fire. He said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus comes onto the scene of Bethlehem. 
No, Jesus has always been on the scene. Jesus is eternal. He was born in flesh in Bethlehem. But Jesus was around in the days of the Old Testament. He was around, he has always been a part of creation. He has always been part of the Godhead. And so many people believe that this, this was a uh, Christophany is the word. It was a Christophany. It was an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament to demonstrate that God is with us. He's present in our pain. Now, this is where we're going to talk a little bit. I don't know about you. Can we get honest for a moment? I don't know about you, but sometimes I wonder, maybe you do too, sometimes I wonder, why do we have to go through the fire? Wouldn't it be just as good for Jesus or Gabriel, or whoever that fourth person was in the fire, I believe it was Jesus, wouldn't it be just as good to, for them to <laughs> blow the fire out? Huh? Come on, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you'd rather him blow the fire out than have to go through the fire? Absolutely. Have you ever wondered, why does my family have to go through this pain? Why do I have to endure this hardship? Why do I have to suffer this loss? I mean, it's one thing to say God is with you in the fire, but why doesn't He just take the fire away? What? There you go. I think it's a very valid question to say, why, why do we have to go through this? But I think there are some very good reasons why sometimes we have to go through the fire. And we'll give you three if you want to put this on your notes, if you're taking notes, or uh, if we have time, I'll give you three. Number one, the fire can actually renew our faith. Going through the fire can renew our faith. I, I don't know how many times I've seen people, and maybe you're one of these, I don't know how many times I've seen people who who have a, a trial, they have a painful experience, they get a bad diagnosis, they, uh, their, their marriage is struggling, whatever it is, you, you just name it. I don't know how many times I've seen this, that people, when they suddenly find themselves in the midst of the fire, suddenly their heart turns back to God. And I'm not saying that's bad, I'm, I'm saying that's good. I'm just, I'm just saying as, as a pastor, I've made the observation that, that when suddenly they get confronted with something, when suddenly they hit something, when suddenly they're in the fire, it's quite natural for us to turn our eyes heavenward and really genuinely seek God in a way we haven't done in years. I mean, I've just seen it so many times. And again, I want to emphasize, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. That's part of the purpose of the fire, is to bring our hearts back to God. Because sometimes we're, we're so busy and we're running that we don't, we don't seek God the way we ought to. Sometimes it takes a fire to do that. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you think their faith was strengthened once they went through that fire experience? Oh, yeah. Why was their faith strengthened? Huh? They were saved. God delivered them, and God was with them. 
I mean, their faith in the Lord was so strong that they said, listen, if he doesn't deliver us, we're still going to believe him. If he doesn't deliver us, we're, we're not going to bow down. They had a strong faith, but oh my goodness, how strong their faith must have been when all of a sudden they saw the fourth man in the fire. Yeah, all of a sudden their faith became sight. They saw the fourth man in the fire. Maybe a fire has burned through your family recently or maybe a fire has burned through your business, not a literal fire, or your relationship or maybe your health. And there's no doubt that the fire, the the trial can take a lot from you, but it can also do a lot for you. Hello, did you hear that? no doubt it can take a lot from you but it can also do a lot for you let me show you something in the new testament first peter chapter one first peter chapter one first peter chapter one we get a little bit of heaven's perspective of the fires in our lives first peter chapter one verse six and seven he says verse 6 in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have to you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire there's that word your faith refined Did you notice this? Let's read it again. These have come, verse 7, so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. God describes our trials in this text as, as fire. And this fire is applied to something, in this text, very valuable, gold. He says that he's trying to do something that's even more valuable than gold. And notice that he says that the fire is not forever. He says for a little while in the text. And notice that the purpose of the fire is not to destroy the gold, but to refine it, to increase its value. That's God's view of the fire you're in right now. He's, he might be purifying your faith, improving your faith, making it of greater value than it has been in the past. Sometimes, when you're in the trials, you're in the fire, one of the things that happens in, in that experience is that you finally come to grips with what really matters. I started to take the board up here and draw it out for you. But if we were to, put, if we were to make two columns, and I said, I want you to take everything in your life and put it in one of these two columns. Stuff that matters and stuff that don't. How many things would you have in the column that says stuff that matters? Just in your mind, real quickly, try to... Try to, come up with, try to come up with six things in your life that you'd put in the column of stuff that matters. Real quickly, just try to come up with that. Stuff that matters. 
Relationship with God, that's stuff that matters. All right, something else. Huh? Family. Family matters. What else? Health matters. What else? Huh? Shelter matters. The relationships with people matters. Your job. I think that's five. Give me one more. Huh? You, you need, yeah, you need food and water to sustain you. Now, would you agree that sometimes we get things confused as, as to this matters or it doesn't really matter? Oh, yeah. Sometimes we put a lot of things in the column that matters when really it should go in the column stuff that doesn't matter. It's hard sometimes to keep that straight. I want to tell you something. One of the things that will happen when you're in the fire is that you determine real quickly what matters and what doesn't. The fire often forces you to sort out what matters. Maybe he's using the fire right now to help you to clarify in your heart what really, really matters. Let's go back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. Let's go back there. Here's the second thing that I want to show you from this text. When God delivers, He delivers us completely. I love this. Uh, Let me find the verse. Um... Verse 25, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw, this is the verse I want you to see, They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched. And I love this. And there was no smell of fire on them. Can I say to you that when God chooses to deliver you, He delivers you completely? God knows how to bring you out of the fire. No smell of smoke. Have you been around somebody lately? Have you been around somebody that, that's been smoking? You can tell it, can't you? I was, uh, where was I? Um, oh, Friday morning. I, I took Lisa to the airport, and uh, I was on my way back, and I stopped at Hardy's to get a biscuit. I mean, it was like 5 o'clock in the morning. I stopped at Hardy's to get a biscuit, and this lady walked by me. She walked by me, and she walked by me. I literally kind of stood back because it was like, Oh, my goodness. I mean, it was awful. Uh, cigarette smoke, by the way, is what I'm talking about. Just want to clarify. <laughs> I walked out to the car, to my car, and her car was right next to mine. And there was somebody in the driver's seat and waiting on her. I think she would went in to use the bathroom or something. So, so... I walked by the car. I was just getting in my car. They didn't have their windows cracked at all. And I stood there and I was, 
I was overwhelmed with the smell of smoke coming from their car and their doors were closed. You, you couldn't pay me to ride in their car. And you say, I'm getting off on a rabbit trail there a little bit, except for this. When, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, not only were they not burned, they didn't even smell like smoke. Now, here's the reason that matters for you. We could talk about sometimes, about, you know, there was a day when, when you went through something and God changed you and God saved you and people who know you now, they would say, I never would have guessed that. I never would have, you, you went through that? I never would have guessed that. You used to do what? I, have no, I had no idea. Why? Because God saved you and God changed you. There was no smell of smoke in your life anymore. I'm not talking about literal smoke. I'm talking about it's just evident that God has done something in your life. It's evident. The last thing I'll, I'll point, uh, the third thing I want to show you is this. Fires can give us a larger platform that we can use to glorify God. Look at verse 28. And Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the, king, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Man, what a way to go out. You say, what do you mean to go out? You know that we don't hear from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego anymore in the book of Daniel, nor do we see them anymore in the Bible. But you know how, how they go out? They go out this way. The last mention of their name is in the context of God's power and God's glory. That they stood for God and they served God. And the last mention of their name is simply in the context of God delivered them and God's name was honored and glorified in the province and the country of Babylon. I don't know about you, that's the way I want to go out. I want to go out still believing in God. I want to go out still pointing to God. I want to go out in such a way that the last mention of my name is in the context of God's glory and God's power. Let's be honest. Can we be honest tonight? Fires are never fun. We don't like them. We don't want them. And yet they're going to come, aren't they? But God has predetermined to be present with you in the midst of the fire. Now, I want to close. It'll take me about five minutes. I want to close by asking this question. Why did the Lord include this story in the Old Testament Scriptures? You see, for, for most of you, maybe for all of you, but, well, not all of you, because I know, 
I know uh, Chris is back here, and I'll never forget that Chris told me he had never heard the story of Daniel until he was a grown man because he didn't have that church background. But for most of you, you've heard this story before, right? This is not new. This is not a new story. You heard it in Bible school. You, you heard it in Sunday school. You, you grew up learning the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know this story. This is, this is an old story to you. It's a children's story to you, right? You had it in children's Sunday school. It's a children's story to some of you. So, my question would be, why did God put this in the Bible? Why did He include it in the Old Testament? I think he's, he's included it for the same reason that he included stories of, of, of faith of people like Abraham and Moses and Joshua and David. I think he included this story to encourage God's people in their battle against the world and the flesh and the devil. I want you to open your Bibles to Romans 15. Romans 15. We're done in Daniel. Go to Romans 15. Romans 15, verse 4. No? Let's see. I'm in 1 Corinthians. That's not what I need. Romans 15, verse 4 says this. For everything that was written in the past, in the Old Testament, Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. That's the reason the story is there. Now let's apply it to Daniel's day and to our day. First, this story was put there because it was to be an encouragement in Daniel's day and to those who followed him. You see, things were not good for the Jewish population. They were, this was during the period of the 70 years of captivity in Babylon. Their land was devastated. Their city was destroyed. Their temple was destroyed. The situation looked hopeless. The trials were very real. The fires were very real. The pressure to bow down to pagan gods was very real. The pressure to walk away from the, the God of the Old Testament was very, very real. And the experience of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was to greatly encourage these Jews who, who had the conviction that they needed to follow Yahweh God, but they also had the pressure not to follow Him, not to honor Him, not to trust Him. They lived in a society where they were pressured to become like the pagans around them to bow down to the pagan gods around them. This was very real to them. Because that's the world they lived in, the world that was trying to pressure them to bow down to their pagan gods. And they knew it was a price to pay if they didn't. But God put this story in the Bible to encourage the people in Daniel's day, the people in captivity, but also the people after Daniel's day, to encourage them to remain true to Yahweh God. And to help them understand, He has predetermined to be present with them in their pain. And they would live in years of pain. They would live in years of captivity. They would live in years of facing the pressure and the oppression 
of other governments and the pressure of the pagans, uh, the pagan leaders to make them bow down to pagan idols, they would live with this. This was not theory. This was not a Sunday school lesson. This was not a children's story. This was included in the Old Testament Scriptures because it really happened. And there were people who were being persecuted for their faith. And this story was, a, was there to remind them, hold on and you keep trusting. You keep believing like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. You be loyal to God when you're being forced not to be loyal. You keep trusting God and He'll be loyal to you. God is predetermined to be present with you in your pain. That was a lesson the people desperately needed in Daniel's day. There's also an encouragement here for our day. Like Daniel, the day may be coming for us. Right now, we live in a safe and comfortable environment here in the United States. But you need to know that people are paying a high price to maintain their testimony in other parts of the world. In fact, the last Sunday in November, Lord willing, we're going to have Persecuted Church Sunday where we're going to be focusing on the persecuted church and the price that people are paying to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Their families are being destroyed. Their businesses are being taken away from them. Their houses are being burned. Many are being killed. Just because they're followers of Jesus Christ, they are walking through the fire. And it's not a Sunday school story. It's not a children's story. It's real. And God put this story in the Old Testament to say, when you're in the fire, I will be with you. I will be present with you in your pain. You be loyal to the Lord your God, and He will be loyal to you. That's why the story is there. And there'll come a day we'll need that story here too. There will come a day when you do not have the freedom you now have. There will come a day when you will experience pressure you've never experienced. There will come a day when you will be faced with a decision, bow down or not. There will come a day when you will have to pay a price as a follower of Jesus Christ. And the story is in the Bible to remind you when you are in the fire, He is with you there. The story is there to remind you. Not to be a cute little children's story. It's there to remind you He has predetermined to be present with you your pain. You be loyal to Him. He will be loyal to you. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are grateful for the encouragement of the story to remind us that you care for, you, for your people and you honor your people when they are true to you. Help us to have the courage, the grace, the strength. Be people who stand tall for Jesus when others are bowing down the knee to the gods of this world. 
May we have a faith that endures, a faith that believes, a faith that trusts. And may we see the fourth man in the fire when we need him most. Thank you that you have predetermined to be with us in our pain. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. May we honor you in all ways and in all days. And I pray that in Christ's name, amen.